growing in God's Word, and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. Over and over again, be alert, be ready, because you don't know the day or the hour. You don't know when this event is going to occur. And this is the message that he keeps communicating over and over and over and over and over and over again. When you were a kid, did you ever have your parents give you the same instructions several times? Why did they do that? Well, they repeated themselves because what they were trying to teach you was important. That's what Jesus is doing in Matthew chapter 24 and 25. He is essentially saying the same thing over and over and over again. Get ready. Be ready. Live ready. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. As we continue in our study from Matthew chapters 24 and 25 and Jesus' teaching on the end times and his return, we're discovering that Jesus employs the same repetition method as our parents. Jesus is always trying to get us to think about this idea, to be ready, to get ready, or as I said last week, to live ready. It's what he's always doing. Like our parents, what Jesus is trying to teach us is important. And as Pastor Clay is going to show us today, Jesus is trying to help us understand that the most important thing that we can know about the end times is to be ready for it. I'll be back after the message to wrap things up. But now, here's Pastor Clay with this week's Crosswalk. We are now in our eighth week. I added it up and I thought, really? That? We're in our eighth week in this study on Jesus' teaching about the end times found in Matthew chapter 24 and 25. Eight weeks we've been looking at this study and for eight weeks we've basically been hearing this, for the most part, the same message over and over again. Obviously, uh, we kicked off 2012 with a study like this because um, for the last couple of years, there's been a lot of stuff, you know, about the uh, Mayan calendar and just stuff that people are pointing towards 2012 and, uh, you know, end times events and all that kind of stuff. And uh, not that I, I think that that necessarily means the end's going to come because of that or whatever else, but I just felt like it was a good opportunity to kind of do a study uh, where Jesus specifically focuses on what will occur in the end times, what you can look for, what you can expect as a result of that. And so we've been doing this study, and if you've been here, you know that, I, that I've said this probably on more than one occasion, but uh, the fact is, is that uh, people, by and large, aren't really looking for the return of Jesus. Uh, they, they, now, they, know that there's stuff going on and they're like, what in the world is going on? It's a crazy time. I'm not sure what's happening and all that kind of stuff. People are uncertain about the future. People are wondering what's going on. But the truth is very few people are actually looking for the return of Jesus Christ. I mentioned this verse uh, last week in Second Peter chapter 3, the idea that people would just scoff at, laugh at, ridicule this idea that someday uh, this guy's coming back. But Peter wrote uh, 2,000 years ago, he said, most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same 
since the world was first created, right? Nothing's different. Nothing's really changed. Oh, yeah, sure. We've advanced technologically. Uh, we, can, we can put a man on the moon. We can, we can fly to the other side of the earth in a few hours. We can change major body parts. We can use our phones to start our cars from the other side of the earth. I don't know why you'd want to, but you can. Sure, we've advanced in lots of ways like that, but it's, it's all basically the same. It's still going on just like it was. Did you know that virtually all, as far as I know, all cultures, countries, civilizations... Both now and throughout time, all cultures have some idea about eternity. Every one of them. Every culture has some concept about this idea that there is more than just this. And that there is something beyond this. This idea of of an eternity that goes on. Every culture in the world has some, they may not all agree on all the stuff and everything. But they have this idea that this isn't. This isn't the end. And yet, we uh, become so consumed in, in our right now, right? Some of y'all are already, in, already into Monday, aren't you? Aren't you? You're, you've already looked at your calendars. You're already thinking about, I've got to be here. I've got to do this. I've got to, the kids, I can't believe, uh, right? We are so consumed with our here and our now that it's just kind of hard for us to get our minds around this, this idea that, that God says someday all of this stuff is coming to an end and that there is an eternity beyond all that. It's hard for us to get our minds around it and yet Jesus is always trying to pull us back toward that idea. Jesus is always trying to get us to think about this idea, to to be ready, to get ready, or as I said last week, to live ready. It's what he's always doing, is bringing us back to this idea. It may in some sense sound like a broken record, but that's what he's doing. Sure, he starts out in chapter 24, his disciples say, give us some signs. We want to know, we want to see what's going to happen, what's going to look like, what's going to go on. And Jesus gives them and us some signs, some things that to look for that would be indicators that we're drawing near the end. And we, you can go back and listen to those messages on our podcast. You can, you can download them from iTunes and that may help you in some of that explanation. But, but he walks, okay, and he talks about these false Christ, people that would come along and claim that they've got the answer or the, the Messiah or whatever that case may be. He talks about wars and he talks about rumors of wars. By the way, uh, if you're thinking, well, what's, a, what's the difference between a war and a rumor of war? You know, all this stuff has been in the news. I'm just giving an example. The stuff that's been in the news about Iran, you know, and Israel. Is Israel getting a little nervous? Is Iran building an atomic bomb? And is Israel going to, you know, do a preemptive strike? That's a rumor of war, ladies and gentlemen. And you and I are paying for it right in the old wallet at the gas pump. Just a rumor of war. Jesus said it'll be false Christ. There'll be wars, rumors of wars. There'll be earthquakes. There'll be famines. These are some signs, some things that you can look for. And then he's coming back. He's always coming back to that idea that he's trying to get across to us. That's uh, really chapter 24. Well, I should say that he kind of wound up that whole signs section, what I call the signs section. He kind of wound that up with, with talking about Noah. And we looked at that last week. And he says, as it was in the days of Noah, there was rebellion, there was ridicule, there was rejection. 
of God's message, of God's messenger, of God's salvation. That's how it'll be in the end times. The way you can look at Noah's, you can, you can read that historically, and the way that looks, you can look at that and, and know that that's how it's going to be in the end times. He kind of winds that all up. That's the end of chapter 4. And as I said last week, Jesus is done giving signs, and now he's just giving warnings. As he moves into chapter 25, here comes this message that he's been communicating to us really over and over again. Be alert. Be ready. Because you don't know the day or the hour. You don't know when this event is going to occur. And this is the message that he keeps communicating over and over and over again. But being the master teacher that he is, Jesus is going to say it in different ways every time. You know, I was, uh, most of you probably wouldn't know him, but when I was in college, I had the privilege of attending a, a preaching seminar um, held by Dr. Stephen Olford. And he went home to be with the Lord a number of years ago, but Stephen Olford uh, is considered one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century. And, uh, and I learned a lot that weekend in that seminar with him. I hope I did. But one of the things that I'll never forget that Dr. Olford said was that the secret to great preaching or teaching is not to say seven different things, but rather to say the same thing seven different ways. That's great preaching, Dr. Olford said. That's what Jesus is doing in Matthew chapter 24 and 25. He is essentially saying the same thing over and over and over again. Get ready. Be ready. Live ready. Now, we have to ask ourselves... Dude, why is Jesus so obsessed with us getting this message? Why is he so hung up for two chapters to just keep saying the same thing over and over and over again? What is the big deal about this? Why? Why? I'll tell you why, ladies and gentlemen. Because life, this, this physical, bodily, temporal Sometimes good, sometimes bad, sometimes up, sometimes down, sometimes triumphant, sometimes tragic. Life is this. This is life, ladies and gentlemen. And eternity, eternity is this. Really, that's not even a good analogy, is it? Because while this stage may have an end, eternity does not. And whatever you and I go through or experience or have in this life, it's this. I mean, it, it's, James said it's a vapor, it's a mist, it's a pssst. So, and, and I'm, listen, I am preaching at me as much as I am at you. As a matter of fact, probably more at me because y'all probably all got it right. But the question I would be asking is this, why, how is it that we can spend so much time, so much energy, so much effort on this and so little effort? On this. Y'all ever read that story in the Old Testament about two brothers, uh, Esau and Jacob? It's in Genesis chapter 25. They're twins. Um, But Esau is born first by just a little bit. Now, because Esau is born first, Esau receives what in the Jewish culture is known as the birthright. Which basically means that Esau would receive a significant portion of the inheritance. Esau would be the one that would kind of be responsible for carrying on the family name, carrying on the family business, so to speak. That right, that privilege and responsibility was given to Esau as the first 
born. And they grew up. They were young men. And Esau was out hunting one day. The Bible says he was a hunter. Hunter. Let me hear y'all say hunter. Hunter. <laughs> y'all are terrible. <laughs> hunter. He was a hunter. He's out hunting one day. And he comes in, comes home from hunting. Apparently do, didn't do very well because he's starving to death. And uh, at least that's the, that's the term that he uses. He comes in and his brother Jacob has prepared some soup. Now, I'm sure it, it looked delicious, probably smelled up the whole house, smelled good. Y'all ever walked in something good, just bacon or something, you know? Probably smelled great. And Esau comes in and he says, he says man, give me some of that soup. I, I'm, I'm, I'm starving to death here. And Jacob, ever the opportunist, says, okay, sell me your birthright first. Birthright? And Esau does it. Esau does it. I'm paraphrasing, but basically he says, well, this birthright won't do me any good if I, if I die of starvation. Give me that soup here. Take this birthright. And he sells it to Jacob. Now, our first thought concerning Esau might be, what? An idiot. Who, who in their right mind would sell something as precious? Who in their right mind would trade something as valuable, something as lasting as a birthright for a bowl of soup? Surely he knew that the soup wasn't going to last forever. Surely he knew he was going to get hungry again. Why in the world would he trade something so valuable for something so temporal. Oh, 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 I get it. I get it. You're trying to get us to see that, that when we get so consumed by the stuff of this world and so consumed with the responsibilities and the stuff, when we get so focused on the stuff of this world that we neglect the priority of the kingdom and the return of the king, that, that we're like Esau. We're, we're trading something precious and valuable and lasting for something temporal. That's what you're trying to get us to see. Why, yes, I, I think it is. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13, in a section that is known as the parable of the ten virgins. I want to share with you for a few moments, and then, as no doubt you've seen this morning, we've set the table. It is the Lord's Supper, something that we do at least quarterly here at Cross Culture Church And it is an open invitation to anyone who has trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You don't have to be a member of Cross Culture Church. You have to be a member, a part of the body of Christ. That's an expectation that God has because these elements, as I'll share in a little bit, represent the body and blood of Christ. His body which was broken, his blood which was shed. And when a person participates in this act, they are saying, yes, Christ's body was broken for me. Christ's blood was shed for me. We take those elements in as a demonstration of our faith in Jesus Christ. By the way, I, you know, I, I would have never even thought of this, but my wife, always thinking, uh, some of you here have wheat allergies, and for the first time, we have gluten-free uh, crackers down here, bread for you, so that you don't, don't have to not participate in this act. So I'm just so grateful that Cindy always thinks of that sort of thing. Matthew chapter 25. Then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish. The Greek word is morai, from which the root, you can figure out, we get the word moron. I'm just telling you. 
five of them were foolish and five were prudent or wise. For when, and this, he's saying this is why they were. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the prudent took oil in flasks along with their lamps. Now while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight there was a shout, Behold, the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, No, there will not be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast. And the door was shut. Later, the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. But he said, Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. Jesus, as I referred to him a moment ago, the master teacher, one of the things that Jesus always did was he would use everyday items or events to help us understand uh, a truth that he was trying to communicate. In this case, he begins to talk about a wedding uh, ceremony. Now, uh, I've talked some about the customs within a Jewish wedding uh, in the past. We don't know everything about the customs back then, but one of the things that we do know about the, the Jewish wedding, the custom of it, was that the Jewish wedding was, was usually broken into sections. The first section being what we call the betrothal. We kind of refer to it as like an engagement period, but it was much more serious to the Jewish people. It had a, it had a very uh, formal ceremony to it. The betrothal period, where the, the man and the woman came together, uh, they recited vows, and they pledged themselves to one another. And it was a legally binding contract between the two of them. You read that in the Christmas story about Mary was, was betrothed to Joseph. That's why in Jewish custom, Joseph could have had Mary stoned to death or divorced her and all this kind of stuff. It wasn't God's will. That's what they had come up with. But um, they are betrothed together. They're legally binding. For all intents and purposes, they are married at that moment. But they simply do not consummate the marriage. In other words, they don't sleep together yet. But instead, the, the bridegroom goes back to his home and he begins to prepare a place for he and his bride. And when he's finished preparing that place, he will go and get his bride and bring her to his house or possibly his parents' house where this great party would ensue. This, this wedding feast and festival and this wonderful uh, time that they would have together. That is apparently the scene that Jesus is showing us. That's, that's the scene he's painting. That's the scenario that he gives to us. Now, in Jesus' story, there are ten virgins or maidens, young ladies. Jesus says that, uh, now, by the way, I should say this, I, we don't really know a lot about it. It's, it's a parable. He's just telling a story. Uh, there's been a lot of people trying to allegorize to the nth degree this story and figure out who everybody was. I, I, don't, I really don't think it's that important. They, they could have been bridesmaids, for lack of a better term, in the wedding. They, they could have been uh, servants in the household of the bridegroom. They could have just been neighbors and friends 
that were invited to the wedding. Like I said, I don't think it really matters. The point Jesus is making is that five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. And the only determining factor of whether they were foolish or whether they were wise is whether they were prepared. That was the only thing that determined which category in the story they were placed into. Now, all ten of them knew that the bridegroom in the story, all ten of them knew that the bridegroom had gone to get his bride. All ten of them had lamps or torches, it could have even been. All ten of them would have known that there was not necessarily a set time for when the bridegroom would return. That there could be some delay, it could be a farther journey, it could be sometimes some... Some historians believe that sometimes there would be kind of a negotiation going on about the whole dowry kind of thing, and some of that could hold it up. But the point is, there was no specific set time as to when the bridegroom would return with his bride. All ten of them knew that because they know that there's a possibility of delay. Jesus says that five of the virgins go and get some extra oil. They carry it in flasks, and five do not. Now, maybe they were absent-minded. Maybe they were in a hurry. Maybe they were excited. Maybe they were just lazy. Maybe they just assumed that the bridegroom would be back before their lamps ran out of oil. Again, it doesn't really matter. What matters is they weren't prepared. They just weren't prepared. And apparently, they should have been because five of them knew that they needed to be. Five of them went and got extra oil. And then in verse 6, suddenly there is this cry, this shout, behold, the bridegroom. This, this was an exciting time in a village or a town. I mean, it was just, they were going to have a good time. The bridegroom, come out to greet him. And as we read in the text, they've all fallen asleep, which apparently doesn't seem to be a problem because it's just, he's delayed and it's coming. And they all jump up. But because he's delayed, they all need extra oil for their lamps so that they can light their lamps so that then they can join the bridal procession to go into the bridal party. Uh-oh. Five of them are ready. Five of them are not. In verse 8, uh, the ones that weren't ready basically demand it. It's an aorist uh, imperative verb in the Greek. Give us your oil. Now, maybe they, maybe they demanded it because they were angry. Maybe they demanded it because they were in fear. Maybe they demanded it because they were anxious. But give us your oil. And in verse 9, the wise virgins aren't being stingy. They're, they're, just, they're just being realist. No. <laughs> no, not going to do it. Because if I give you my oil, then I don't have any oil. Now let's just stop right here. What does that say to us, ladies and gentlemen? What is something that we can infer from that? What it says is that each person has personal responsibility. Remember, the whole context for this is the end times. That's what started this whole thing. Oh, when is the end going to come? And Jesus said, you want some signs? All right, I'll give you some signs. But I'll tell you what, how about better than than looking for signs? How about if you just live ready? How about that? And five of the virgins, to emphasize the point, Jesus says five of the virgins were ready. Five of the virgins weren't. And the five that were ready said, we can't give you our oil. If we do, then we won't have any oil. And then in verse 10, these what should be very sobering words. And those who were ready went into the wedding feast and the door was shut. What it says to us, ladies and gentlemen, is that there is a finality to this thing. It reminds us one more time, and Jesus has been saying it throughout 
this Olivet Discourse, it reminds us again that there is an end to this, that God is going to bring this curtain down in his timing and for his purposes, and that you and I have to live with that expectation in our life. We have to live ready. We have to live ready. We have to live ready. Because that's the conclusion Jesus draws in verse 13. He tells the story, and then he brings home the application. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. And it may be rather simplistic, but the conclusion it seems to me in the parable of the ten virgins is is what I call the BP squared, the big picture biblical principle for the parable of the ten virgins is simply this, ladies and gentlemen. Preparation will mean celebration, but procrastination will mean separation. I mean, that's, that's really what it comes down to. And I, and I know those people don't like to think about that. I know those people say, well, that's not true. That's just a bunch of hocus pocus. That's just a bunch of superstition. That's just, uh, it's not. But do you know Ecclesiastes, I think chapter 3, verse 11, says that God has placed it within the heart of every man and woman to know there is an eternity. Now, people may deny it. People may refuse it. And people may ignore it. But I believe deep down within the heart of every person, lies the truth that there is an eternity, that this is coming to an end. My life, all of this, whatever, is at some point coming to an end. And then what? I have asked this virtually every week in this series, and I ask it again today. Are you ready? Are you ready for when the end comes? Well, I don't know if I'll be around when this, the end is coming for you, my friend. I hate to be morbid about this. But the death rate is still 100%. So even if we die before this event occurs, the fact is the end is still coming. And the Bible says it's appointed unto man to die once and after that, the judgment. Get ready. Be ready. Live ready. Today, we commemorate our Savior's first coming and its purposes by, as I said a moment ago, participating in the Lord's Supper. I want to say to you, if you're here today and, and you're not sure where you are in a relationship with God and you're not sure you're ready to make that commitment to Him, please don't feel awkward. In a few moments, people are going to stand up and they're going to begin to come forward and, and partake of these elements. Don't feel awkward if you say, I, I, just, I just don't want to do that. I'm just going to stay right here. That's fine. Matter of fact, I applaud your honesty. It's fine. But as I said earlier, if you're here today and you've committed your life to Jesus Christ, or you're here today and you'd like to commit your life to Jesus Christ, I'm ready to do this. I'm ready to trust Him as my Savior and Lord. Then in a few moments, you're going to be invited to just, we're going to stand up. John is going to lead us. We're going to sing. And you're going to be invited to come and, and to take and break off a piece of this bread, which symbolizes, as I said, the body of Jesus Christ, which was broken. And to take this fruit of the vine, And to take it in and by faith say, Lord God, I I don't even know why you would do this for me. But thank you. It's a time of reflection. It's it's a time of introspection in our lives. And it's a time of remembrance. Are you ready? Because to be ready, you have to start with that relationship with God. That relationship that comes only through personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ. See, the Bible puts it this way in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. For the payment for sin is death. That's what we deserve because all of us have sinned. I'm so glad that verse doesn't end there, aren't you? 
But God gives us the free gift of life forever in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Well, that sounds good. I, I don't know that I have all the answers, but, but I, I want that in my life. I want God in my life. I want to trust Him. How, how does that happen? Romans chapter 10. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord... And if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, and this heart issue is very important, ladies and gentlemen. It's not just something that I believe up here, intellectually think about, but when it goes to my heart, it changes my hands and my feet. It changes my life. If you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. We believe with our hearts, and so we're made right with God, and we declare with our mouths that we believe, and so we are saved. Are you ready? I know I sound like a broken record. And maybe I'm saying the same thing and maybe I'm not saying it seven different ways. But what I'm saying is important to each and every one of us. It's the most important thing. Preparation means celebration, but procrastination will mean separation. Seems pretty straightforward, doesn't it? In Jesus' parable, what made the wise virgins wise was the fact that they were ready when the bridegroom came. They didn't wait until the last minute and hoped they had time. They prepared for His coming and they were ready to enter into the wedding celebration. The foolish virgins, on the other hand, weren't ready. As Pastor Clay explained in today's message, the reason they weren't prepared really doesn't matter. What matters is that they could have been ready. They should have been ready, but they weren't and they were shut out as a result. In the context of Jesus' teaching on the end times and His return, it's not hard to understand what Jesus is saying to us. We've got to be ready for the end. And the only way to be ready is to surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, accept His atonement for our sins, and live our lives for His glory as we wait for that glorious day of our Savior's return. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sundays at 1030 at Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. I Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.